the transition of Jacob from deception to being deceived in faithfulness, wrestling with God, and a desperate prayer. There's two parts there, not just the wrestling, but and a desperate prayer, to humility and a new walk and disposition. Let's look through those things in in greater detail here together. I've put intro and bold letters there. That's where we're going to begin now. This is true of of all the patriarchs that have been taught in weeks prior and, and those that will be taught and talked about in the upcoming weeks. The Lord does not airbrush, so to speak, the patriarchs in the Bible. In fact, I would venture to say that the Lord doesn't airbrush many men or women in the Bible. They are in the Bible for a distinct reason, a purpose. Some have many different purposes or reasonings, but when the, when the Spirit of the Lord moved on the men and they put pen to parchment, there is a, a great reason as to why the Lord wanted these things written down and the patriarchs, of course, are part of this. But instead, the Lord shows us these men with all of their issues, if I can say it that way, and shortcomings with broad and prevalent strokes. I like to envision the Lord in my own mind's eye as a master artist, a Van Gogh, or I'm constantly in my mind as, as, as the stories and, and the lives really are told of the men and women in the Bible. David, of course, comes to mind. God is painting these huge, broad strokes with David. And crazy enough, David was crazy enough, I should say, to allow all of his faults and failures to be written down. In fact, he probably wrote most of them down so that you and I would have the the great ability to, to look at those things and take from it what we could. But um, God, uh, with broad and prevalent strokes, but simply showing that God has a plan and we cannot mess his plan up. But you've got to take that the right way. We can mess ourselves up, but we cannot mess the plan of God up. God will find a willing vessel to do his work. Our flaws are not exonerated, but the Lord's grace and mercy carves a path for us through the dense brush of our lives. And so in saying that, let's look at Genesis 25, 21 through 26. Let's read it together. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, very important. If you haven't heard that sermon from pastor, you need to find it tonight. Shall we inquire of the Lord? Shall we inquire of the Lord? You need to have that. But she inquires of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau, or on Esau's heel, And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old or about 60 years old when she bare them. And so we make it to the first point here, deception. As we just read together, Jacob was a twin. 
pretty self-explanatory. The Bible writes it out, draws it out very plainly there. He was the brother of Esau, and his father was Isaac. Even before Jacob was conceived, we get an idea of who he is or who he was going to be. Genesis 25 tells us that Jacob and Esau were unusually active in the womb or that they struggled within their mother, Rebekah. The Bible tells us in 25:21, and Isaac entreated the, uh, the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was in, entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived and the children struggled together within her. Now, when Jacob and Esau were born, Esau was delivered first, as we know with Jacob grabbing or grasping his heel. And this action is where Jacob receives his name, his first name. Jacob means subplanter or in much simpler context, heel grabber. To supplant something, of course, means to replace it. However, in this context, it means to replace by underhanded means. Genesis 25 and 26, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and in the first came out red, and well, like we read already. And so now we are seeing that from very early on in Jacob's life, he has a real struggle with inferiority. The Bible shares that Esau was very manly or masculine. As we just read in Genesis 25, he was large in stature and a hunter and a very hairy man, all of which show, tr- show traits of masculinity. In many ways, it seems that Jacob was a mama's boy. I've, I've heard that probably my whole life. In fact, I can remember Sunday school teachers. I remember Sister Patty Durr, one of my first Sunday school teachers, teaching us about Jacob and Esau and how, Esau, or how Jacob was a mama's boy and, and, and Esau was the strong one of the bunch. And it would seem that even the boy's father, Isaac, would prefer Esau over Jacob. Let me just stop right here and state that there is nothing more wounding to a man than to not receive love and affirmation from their father. And so throughout Jacob's life, he seems determined to get that affirmation from Isaac by any means necessary, and we'll see that. We also see this very thing playing out in the lives of men today. One writer and author puts it this way, most men really aren't tough. I don't know how I feel about that, but another writer said, if it's written, it's true. So he wrote it down. Most men really aren't tough. In fact, toughness in men is usually just a facade or a decoy to mask the terrible fear he's trying so desperately to hide. I'm praying that my wife does not catch on to that. (laughs) It's called daddy issues. Men and women alike even need affirmation from their father. It is the father that affirms and makes clear the path in life. If we look at the life of Jacob, we see that play out more than once. I I do understand that Jacob's mother, Rebecca, played a large role in the deception of her husband, Isaac. But in the end, it was the desperate need of affirmation and blessing from Isaac that Jacob desperately desired. It is amazing... (laughs) what men or people even will do or to what lengths they will go to just to hear that their father or father figure is proud of them and in such a way that they will speak a blessing over their life. And in Hebrew culture, there was a tradition called uh, pregamentor, which meant 
that the firstborn son received the largest blessing from their father. And sometimes it meant that they received everything from their father. All of the land, all of the livestock, all of the assets, the money, the family trade was given or were given to the firstborn. Their firstborn son was the one that the father would depend on to carry on the family name or the lineage of that family. It was ground into who they were as a people. And knowing that information, we can now really see that Jacob was not okay with this. (laughs) He was not okay with it. (laughs) And Jacob desperately wants his father's blessing, and so Jacob and his mother deceive Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing. And so we'll read about that here in Genesis 27, 18 through 27. You can read it with me. And he came unto his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou, as thou biddest or baddest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, how is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Uh oh. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, where whether thou be my very first son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, and he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it. Near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. We see here that. Jacob and his mother are blinded by lusts and enticed, most likely. The, the desperation of being blessed has allowed his mind to justify these sinful acts. It is amazing what we tend to justify in our own minds. The Bible says that Jacob was a plain man who dwelled in tents. Jacob spent a lot of time with his father and 15 years even with his grandfather. You can do the math through the Bible and until his grandfather's death. Some could say... If we think about the opposite side of the coin, some could say that he knew the heart of his father. Some could say that. He certainly spent more time with him. He dwelled in the same tent as his father, his grandfather. We know that his mother was there. We know that she was very influential. Jacob assumed, however, that simply spending time with his family and sharing a tent with the men he admired would be enough But he never put into action what he was thinking. Sometimes being still still and quiet are needed. However, Jacob allowed that thinking to outweigh what really needed to be done. He allowed his mother to fight his battles and thus it led to deception. This lesson applies more today than ever before. Men be men. Be godly men. And in the act of being strong godly men, let the Lord fight your battles. Put action into the words that you say. Be a hearer and a doer. 
moving right along. Deceived and faithfulness were together. Here we find Jacob running away now or escaping from his brother Esau. He is headed to the city of Haran and his uncle Laban. After a long journey, he comes over a hillside to find flocks of sheep grazing with their shepherds watching over them. He is now running for his life because his brother Esau has sworn to murder him, to kill him. It has consumed every thought in Esau's mind. How could this be done? How could my father now let this be done? I was the firstborn. I was the chosen one. Even though it was just moments or seconds before, my brother, I was the first. I am the eldest. And now he's letting his anger overtake him. So as Jacob comes upon the flocks of sheep grazing with their shepherds watching over them, Jacob talks with the shepherds about a a drink from the well. Jacob meets Rachel now. Rachel approaches and Jacob does something that I would say a lot of our young adult guys tend to do. It's amazing. Amazing is not the right word, but we're going to stay with amazing. It's amazing what happens to some of our young men whenever the young ladies come around. They stand up a little straighter. All of a sudden, their posture's fixed. The Lord, the Lord shows us a miracle right there. It's, un, it's, un, it's unbelievable, truthfully. We should, we should praise and worship much, much more because the Lord seems to heal us every time the ladies come around. Their posture changes. They stand up straight. They broaden their shoulders, however that works. Ladies... You're always saying men never talk much. That's because we can't breathe. We're sucking in when you're around. I'm not afraid to say it. It's true. He just doesn't say much. He's trying not to pass out. It happens. And what befalls many of us has now happened to Jacob here. As Rachel approaches, the, you can study it out for yourself, but it's when shepherds would take their sheep, they would, they would graze them in large pastures and there would be a large trough of sorts and they would keep a large stone lid on top of it to not only keep the water fresh, but to keep different animals and things from getting inside of it. And so it would take two or three shepherds, maybe four shepherds, men, to lift this heavy stone off to allow the sheep and goats and so forth to drink. But when Rachel comes around... Jacob takes the lid off all by himself. He lets her know, I'm manly. Not really. No more daddy issues all of a sudden. No more running from his life. It doesn't matter who's there, what's going on. There could have been a hundred men. Jacob was going to do it by himself. And so he takes the wellhead off alone. He kisses Rachel We've talked about that too, young adults. We're not doing that. Rachel runs to tell her father, Laban, of Jacob. Laban runs to meet Jacob and welcomes him into his home. And we're rushing ahead here, but in order for Jacob to be allowed or to be given the blessing of Laban to marry Rachel, he agrees. In fact, it's his idea to work for seven years. It puts a whole new meaning on courtship. Seven years, it's actually Jacob's idea, you can read it in the Bible. And Jacob is faithful and Laban deceives him and gives him Leah. Read Genesis 29. Jacob agrees to work another seven years for Rachel and also keep Leah as his wife. So Genesis 29, 22 through 26. And Laban gathered together all of the men of the place and 
finally the first seven years is up and Jacob is excited because now he's going to get to officially marry, be betrothed to Rachel. And Laban gathered together all of the men of the place and made a feast and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, or Leah, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her and Laban gave unto his daughter, Leah or Leah, Zilpah, his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I deserve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now Jacob is feeling in his heart the same deception and betrayal his brother Esau felt just seven years prior. Are you with me now? We've moved hastily, but we'll catch up here in a moment. But it's amazing what happens. My dad would probably say something along the lines of, you reap what you sow. My dad doesn't believe in karma. At least that's what he's told me. But he does say that the Lord gets even <laughs> now or on a second, in his second coming. <laughs> As everyone else gets lighter, you may, be, you may be the same heavy. And now Jacob is feeling in his heart, we see it right here, it's, it's amazing. The same deception and betrayal his brother has just felt seven years prior. However, the difference here is that Jacob remains faithful, unreal. Yes, he was deceived by his own uncle. However, he himself deceived his own brother. It's almost as if God wanted to see how Jacob would react on the other side of a deceitful act. I'm not saying that Laban was directed or led by God. However, it does seem interesting how God tends to test us and try us at times just to see how we'll come out on the other side. Jacob quickly goes from the deceiver to the one being tricked and lied to, he quickly feels the sting and the prick of the sharp dagger named deceitfulness. I can't help but think that Jacob was immediately taken back in his mind's eye to the day him and his mother created a ruse to trick his blind father. Jacob is robbed blind, yet he has 20-20 vision. What was his rightful prize and possession has slipped through his hand like fine white sand. Jacob is faced with a decision now, ladies and gentlemen. Does he react the same way his brother reacted? Esau did just, or the way he reacted just seven years prior. He, he could have threatened the life of Laban and thus missed out on the promise of God, but instead Jacob shows a quality that possibly his brother Esau didn't seem to have. Laban shows faithfulness and peacefulness in a place of deceit. Maybe that characteristic was taught to him are taught to Jacob while he was in the tents and his brother was out hunting. Years of quietly observing in a tent may have finally paid off for the simple Jacob. And it is that faithfulness in the face of deceit that carries Jacob through the rest of his life. In the upcoming days, he will grapple with the Lord. So he shows the fighting spirit and strength that many doubted he had. But in this moment, it's faithfulness that's given. Wrestling with God. Genesis 32 is where we find Jacob wrestling with God. With the deceitful act committed by Jacob against his father and his brother, he is forced to flee, of course, 
Now we're catching back up that we jumped through just a little bit ago. Esau is so enraged with hatred in his heart that he vows to murder Jacob. It is important that we do our best to understand the mindset of Jacob. Up to this point, what did Jacob want more than anything? He wanted to be blessed and affirmed by his father. However, the crazy thing is, once Jacob received this blessing and affirmation, he realized how unsatisfying it was. Jacob is now a made man. He has two wives, Rachel and Leah, and he now has 11 sons, the Bible says, and daughters. He has finally received the blessing and affirmation he has been looking for his whole life. Even though Laban deceived him, Laban was still in great debt to Jacob for not only marrying his daughters, but the Bible says that Jacob brought along great growth in the cattle, sheep, and to Laban's herds. Laban's praise, or Laban praises Jacob and begs him to remain with him, but Jacob insists to leave. Although even in Jacob's leaving, he blesses Laban with the breeding of his cattle and sheep, leaving Laban with great increase. Even in his leaving, in his going, he blesses Laban. It's this faithfulness that we continue to see through the experiences of Jacob's life that are, that are unfathomable at times. It's amazing to the links that he'll go to be faithful So Jacob has finally received the praise and adulation he feels that he has always deserved. And this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is where I think we can be a lot like Jacob if we aren't careful. At times, we believe that if we can just get our hands on this one thing, fill in the blank of whatever you'd like, then life can be what we believe it was meant to be. First mistake. To believe that life should be what we want it to be. Big mistake. I hope that you're hearing me, young adults. To believe that life should be everything that we want it to be, that I want it to be, that Grant wants it to be. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that because it's going to make me successful. Whatever in my mind's eye, whatever in my brain tells me is success. That's the danger, ladies and gentlemen, of straying away because suddenly flesh has taken a step through the door and it's difficult to get it shut once it's stepped in. Sometimes it's a relationship or a career, a family or, or some measure of financial success. If we can just get our hands on that one thing, then life would be what it is truly meant to be. I hear that so much today. I, I don't understand it fully. And for some of us, we may actually acquire those things. How amazing is that? How good is God that we acquire success? And of course, it comes through hard work and sacrifice. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't strive for success. However, it does mean that inquiring the Lord first and foremost is the most important thing in your life. I was talking with someone a few months ago now. It was some of the young adult guys had gathered around and we were having a good time and just m making a discussion, having a discussion rather. And they were trying to figure out what job they should take. Luckily, they had different choices. It was really cool. I was so happy for them. They were going to choose what was best for them. And they had just a few days left to decide and they said they had prayed about it and they had fasted about it. And I was glad to hear that. And they said, so I think I'm just gonna kind of close my eyes and pick one. What? Well, I, I asked so-and-so and I asked 
this and that and my mother and my father and I love that, great. I, I hope that you keep doing it. But I quickly injected myself into that and I said, yeah, but, but what did God say? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I prayed, I fasted, I asked. I don't really feel like I've gotten an answer. It hasn't been written in the sky. He hasn't spoken to me audibly. No one has come to me and said, thus saith the Lord. But I would encourage you, regardless of the decision, regardless of what it is, big or small in your own mind, that you inquire the Lord first and foremost. And the first question you should ask yourself is, what did God say? I'm thankful for all the men and women in my life and in our lives. We are so blessed here at New Life and wherever it is you find yourself. I believe that God has surrounded you with great wisdom-filled people. However, what did God say? There's no, there's no decision that we, could, we can make too quickly before we hear from God. Don't allow other things in life, your peers, people around you to push you into making a decision simply because you're trying to keep up or simply because... You're afraid that it's going to, to pass away or fall away. You're not going to get this opportunity again. I would say, what does God say? And for some of us, like I said, we actually acquire these great things. We block out everything else in our lives and we put all of our focus and attention to acquiring what we feel will truly satisfy or complete us. Not to be too generic, but we are in pursuit of real joy or happiness and some of us have acquired those things. However, we soon realize how discounted we are that we aren't satisfied. We come to the understanding that we gave up everything for something that did not fill that gaping hole in our lives. C.S. Lewis stated, when you find that nothing in this world will satisfy you, perhaps it means that you were made for another world. So how did Jacob respond to all of this? It turns out he didn't do so well, at least in the beginning. Jacob continued to chase things that he thought would make him happy. In all actuality, Jacob was a hustler. He was always looking for ways to acquire the next thing that he thought would bless and validate him as a man. But finally, one night, Jacob was by himself, and Genesis 32 says he was alone. And here it is, everyone. How many know that oftentimes if you're needing to hear from God, listen to me, young adults, men and women, please. I feel it so strongly. If you're needing to hear from God, this is what it will take. It will take getting alone sometimes. Finding that secret place, that prayer closet, or just a place where it is just you and God. You've got to slow down. I'll say it again, you've got to slow down. We must get rid of all of the noise and distractions. And when Jacob was alone, the text says that a man came to him and he wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. And Jacob would not let the man go until the man blessed him. Finally, the man touched him, effectively dislocating his hip. Jacob relentlessly, or his relentless persistence and desired blessing in his life caused him to strive against God. His resistance made him, made him completely blind to the fact that God himself was Jacob's blessing. Now when the man saw that Jacob just wasn't getting it, the Bible says he touched his hip and wrenched it out of place. I did a little bit of research and I found that the hip socket and the muscles around the hip socket are some of the strongest in the human body. They 
are in a place to protect the femur, which is one of the strongest bones in the body, making it very hard to recover from. Damaging a muscle, a tendon can be, can be easier. However, when you dislodge your, your thigh or your hip, when you dislocate that, there's been many athletes, professional athletes, men and women who've said that you're never the same. You don't even feel the same. Your stature is different. Your posture is different. Because something drastically has taken place and it's almost irreversible in a way. Yes, it can be rejoined or reconnected, but you're never the same once this takes place. And we see the slightest touch from God was all it took to weaken that joint in Jacob. And in my mind, I have a picture of a child play wrestling with their father. My three-year-old son, Graylin, loves to wrestle. So be careful. You've been warned. In fact, Sierra and I are learning that before you really start to play with him, we would like for you to start signing a waiver. Doesn't have to be legible, just I will record you as you sign it and we'll move on. Graylin loves to wrestle and he loves to wrestle with dad and and, and pappy, my, my dad, his grandpa, he calls pappy and Graylin calls him pap, I call him dad, but he calls him pap and I have come to notice that there is this idea or thought process from my son that if he can conquer me or his grandfather, then he is strong. (laughs) My son gives it everything he's got and me as the father, I'm just being careful not to hurt him and at times I've witnessed my dad play along like Graylin is winning and allowing himself to be pinned down knowing at any time he could overtake Gray and pin him to the floor. Yet out of love the father and grandfather build up the child's self-esteem by playing along, allowing themselves to be dominated if you will at times. So the child begins to believe in their own strength as a person. It's playtime with a purpose. The psychology of what is happening here is very important, actually. The, the child is affirmed in these moments by the person they need affirmation from the most, their father. And now, hopefully, we see it. What had Jacob been missing all of his life? I'll answer the question for you. Jacob was missing the blessing of affirmation from his father. And his goodness, God gave Jacob the affirmation that he had been looking for since birth. In the stillness and being alone, God gives Jacob what he really needed. Then God does something that only fathers can do. He tells Jacob that his name will no longer be Jacob, the, sur- the, the subplanter, but instead it will now be Israel, which means contends with God. I've noticed in wedding ceremonies that it's the father that gives the bride away. When Charlotte was born, just a few months ago now, I kept raising my hand because the nurses and doctors never really seemed to ask me anything. They didn't necessarily care that I was there. Sierra did everything. She signed everything. It was the mother's consent. I said, hey, wait, 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 a, wait a second. I'm, I'm right here. And it's amazing that in the hospital and as, as the kids get older, how important, of course, a mother's love is. I am definitely blessed by a great mother's love. However, it's not the mother's name that the child takes on, but yet it's the father's name. 
It's not Sierra's maiden name. In fact, now Sierra has a maiden name, but it's my name and my father before me and his father before him. It's something that only a man, only a father can give. The question is, are we willing to receive it? Some don't. For whatever reason, that's cool in Hollywood. I I don't really understand it, but we'll leave that for another discussion. Then God does something, of course, like I said, that only fathers can do. He tells Jacob that he will no longer be Jacob, the surplanter, but he'll be Israel, man that contends with God. Consider what that must have meant to Jacob. It had to have been quite the ego boost for the boy who had always felt powerless and inadequate, always trying to prove and validate himself. This was everything. Now, he was the man that contended with God and survived. In fact, when Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me, he received a bizarre response. And I want you to to pay attention, give this close notice here. Jacob receives a bizarre response. The Lord responded with, what is your name? (laughs) Such a strange response in the heat of a struggle, but the Lord did not ask for his own benefit. The question was asked to benefit Jacob. Essentially, what the Lord was saying was, Jacob, the man that you have been is not the man I have made you to be. It is time to live into the identity that I now have given you. At first glance, this passage may seem strange, God wrestling with man and allowing himself to be overcome. But with a deeper look, this is immediately what comes to my mind's eye and what I believe the true beauty of the story, it really starts to come out. Stop looking at those around you who seem to have life conquered. They may have all this all of the spoils and riches of life, but it's time you look for those with a limp. God did not just leave Jacob or now Israel with just a name change, but he gave him something that would be identified long before Jacob ever opened his mouth. Jacob could be a far distance off and people would know exactly who he was because his gate had been changed. God had done something so specific. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. God does not only want to change your name. By the way, when you receive the Holy Ghost, baptism in Jesus' name, evidence in speaking in other tongues, and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you take on a whole new name. You take on something completely different, more powerful, more authority than you've ever had. In fact, it's not feasible to be accomplished by mortal man. However, God gives us his own name. My name is now Grant Jesus. As bizarre as it may sound, God does something that only he can do, and he did it again, or he did it before you and I. He did it with Jacob here, but he does something even more distinct. He gives Jacob a limp. He does something that now people can notice before Jacob ever opens his mouth. A desperate time spent with God, ladies and gentlemen, always leaves a mark. It is time we see one another with our spiritual eyes. I am asking God for myself, Lord, help me to see those with a limp. My family, my wife, my children is looking for those with a limp. It is the physical reminder of what has taken place spiritually. I know the Lord. It is impossible to have a real encounter with him and not be changed. I want you to know he's changing you. Don't give up yet. Fight like never before. Give of yourself like never before. It's already been prophesied in this house. Use what is already in your hands. We are in the season of giving and for that I am so thankful. God has continued to bless us, but hear this challenge today. Give what you have, but hold on to God. 
I pray that your grip would tighten and those who are weary and well-doing will find strength. I pray that you will get all you need, but know that it is God himself that we must cling to. Here it is. Are you ready, everybody? Where else do we see God allowing himself to be overcome for the betterment of his people? I'm sure you're already there. It's on the cross. It wasn't pleasant, and he could have come down at any time. My mom sings the song. It's one of my favorites. But he stayed because he knew what it would do for all of us. The Lord is doing a work in you. I don't say that figuratively. I say it in faith, believing that God is doing a work in you. Young, old, middle-aged, it does not matter. Male, female, where you come from, what your background is, what your family lineage is, how much money you make, what your 401k looks like. Hear me today. God is doing a work in you if you will allow it to happen. It may not always make the most sense and sometimes it hurts, but he's changing your name. He's changing you into exactly, exactly who he made you to be. We are his creation and he has given us a name. We as the reader and consumer get to see Jacob's life story from the end to the beginning. I like that about the Bible. In school, I would often get in trouble. I had a teacher tell me one time, it was terrible advice, but I thought it was so smart at the time. He said, if you always want to see the most, seem the most intelligent, see he did say seem, if you want to seem the most intelligent in social groups, just read the last four chapters of every book. Forget the beginning, forget the middle, just get to the last four chapters. So that when you're in those social settings, and it seems to be people who are highly intelligent, you can quickly brief them on the ending. Oh yes, I know exactly how that happened. It was amazing how he was overcome and this is exactly what took place. And then you move on from the conversation. Terrible advice, it doesn't really work, but not that I tried it out. <laughs> but I love that about the Bible. We get to see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. We can read through and see what God had pinned down for us. We can flip through the pages or swipe up and down on our tablets and read frontwards and backwards through the whole book of Genesis. What a great gift that God has given us. Although I believe we would be remiss to overlook the distinct points that God placed in Jacob's life. A, a life lived that certainly wasn't perfect, but it's the lessons from that life that you and I can draw from that makes up the sheer beauty of the word of God. The creator of all did not choose these patriarchs at random. Instead, he chose those who allowed their life or the life they live to be a book read of all men, as Paul says. The Spirit of the Lord put pen to parchment and it wrote the life story of great yet troubled men like Jacob. The beauty of it is you and I get to pull from, pull from and apply not just the good, but we also have the great luxury of reading and avoiding the pitfalls that the patriarch suffered through. So what does this mean for us? Don't allow the enemy or your own flesh to convince you that God cannot use every single part of your life. He wants to write and tell your whole story if you will let him. Through the hardships of Jacob's life, he learned humility, the blessing of being faithful, the character building of holding on to God. These are all things we have experienced. Some of us have experienced these things on a different scale and settings, but you and I have the word. God gave Jacob a new disposition. I know he wants to do the same in you and I. I love the story of Jacob because it's the quick, almost the quick hero story 
God completely transforms the thinking, the thought process, the way that Jacob's brain was firing from when he was first born to the deception, to moving through and running away, to the wrestling and then forgiving his brother. Being able to let go of something can be one of the most powerful qualities and traits you can ever have. So I encourage you here tonight, all of those that are watching online, those who are under the sound of my voice, don't allow anything in your life to stand in the way of you being in contact with God. And not just a generic sort of contact, however it is an exact, not just a generality rather I should say, but to be in direct contact with God. Do not allow anything to stand in your way, young adults. Don't let it happen. No man, no woman, relationship, money, fame, it doesn't matter. Jacob had it all, he lost it all, he gained it all again. But what he found out to be really true, what really gave him true satisfaction, joy, happiness, peace, was when the Lord spoke to him and he grappled for something that would be greater than anything he could have ever obtained on his own. And God not only changed his name, but he changed the way he walked. And I'm so happy about that. Thank you all for being here. Would you pray with me before we're dismissed here? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in your house, to be in your presence. I thank you for all those who have attended. I pray that your hand would be upon them. I pray, God, that you would continue to bless us because you were so great, so faithful, merciful. I love you, Lord. I'm praying that you would be with us as we travel, that you would encamp angels around about us. Keep us safe, Lord, your hedge of protection around us. Be with us, Lord, as we return to this house on Sunday for a great time of worship and the word. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Amen.